what do we want to talk about, mate? Well, well, let's talk about Ukraine. And yep. I, I have some interesting data points that I'll, that I'll send you right now that are really you know, important. Here, I'll send this to you, which, which people just don't realize how, how critically important Ukraine is and always has been for Russia, for so many different things, for agriculture, for, as you were saying, for mining and also for industry. And it's not just important for Russia, but it's important for its critical part of Europe. And it's a major exporter. I mean, Ukraine's a major exporter of so much different stuff. And so it's, and, and, and it's such a pity that with a kick-ass potential economy, how they don't have like a really amazing kick-ass army is really sad that the country has been so beaten up by corruption over the years. I think it's a big nothing. I wrote to my clients on the weekend that this Luhansk and Donetsk annexation was already in the cards for several weeks. Yep. And the Duma authorized it. And I think what we're going to have is a, a, an East Berlin, right? That region is going to be an East Berlin of the Ukraine. And, and I, I would imagine it's going to become a, a very ugly border. But, but if, you're, if you're Ukraine, you just want to get a 20-foot wall and just wall it off, make it as ugly as possible. Wouldn't that suit Putin to have a 20-foot wall? Pardon, pardon, the, pardon the analogy to the Berlin Wall, but wouldn't it suit? If, if Putin's overriding goal is you know, to, to block the pathway where over the last 150, 160 years, 60 million Russians have died through three, three, three invasions, through the Ukraine, right? Uh-huh. Wouldn't, wouldn't a sixty, wouldn't a twenty-foot wall across Donetsk actually make sense, Dan? Well, I mean, if you, if you look at the actual two, so whatever they are now, states, quasi-states that Duma had basically what brought into creation or whatever the hell <laughs> the legal legalese is, it's all illegal, of course. It's a tiny little pimple. It's a very, it's the very bottom, bottom, you know, right-hand corner of Ukraine, and. Russia still has access to the, the sea there. Ukraine maintains its access. You can wall it off and Ukraine is, loses 5% of its border, right? And so if anything, what I was reading today from some other national security people that I talked to a lot is Russia would love to use that as a, a springboard to expand, continue to expand into, into Ukraine. And if there's a, a, like a 20-foot wall there all the way, all the way down, like the Berlin Wall you know, from the 60s to the end of the 80s, it's going to be harder for Russia to do anything. Mm. And of course, Biden had his two o'clock nothing burger press conference where, can you imagine they're going to um, ban all investment in those two tiny little regions that nobody can pronounce that, and nobody knows true. where they are? Yeah, that'll show up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just like, really? Come on. It's so absurd. And Germany um, suspended the technical completion, the technical, what do you want to call it? The technical authorization for the implementation of Nord Stream 2. And so that, that just means it, it can be brought into being whenever they want. So I, I, think, I think it's a done deal. I think Russia is not going back. They're not going to go back for a second. I got quite a few clients today who were saying, wait a minute here, the market's down 25% and, and yields. The 10-year is up like 300 basis points and the Russian, yield curve is inverted. Russian 10 years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's gone from like whatever, 9 to 11.5% or something like that. And the yield curve is actually inverted. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the last thing that Putin is on his mind. Well, let me just give you some numbers. In the top three positions in all of Europe for mining, 
Ukraine, top three, uranium, titanium, manganese, iron ore, mercury ore, shale gas. It's the seventh largest producer of coal in the world. Agriculture, these are the top you know, nine positions globally. Barley, black soil, potatoes, rye, bees, wheat, chicken eggs, cheese, right? Top six positions in, in industry, ammonia, iron, nuclear, nuclear power plant, turbines, gas production, rocket launchers, clay, titanium, ores, defense products, and steel. And so this is a real important kick-ass economy that Russia desperately needs, including to feed itself. And so, come on, I mean, uh, people just don't realize how much he is going to throw every imaginable uh, wrench into the works here to prevent Ukraine from becoming a member of NATO. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And so I think that Ukraines will accept it. Russia has already accepted it. The Russian troops have already moved in. Can you imagine Biden trying to explain where these places are to the American people? Oh, it's near the Azov Sea. And it's near this port called Mariupol that no, no one's ever heard of. And it's, come on, what the fuck are you talking about? This, this is not going to happen. Nobody gives, nobody gives a crap about this. Unfortunately, it's very sad. This is not exactly the Sudetenland annexation in 1938. But the press conference I saw today, the European response, Boris Johnson's response, nothing, milk toast. Now, Paul... You what can they do? What, what can they do, mate? Because again, put it there, I'm going to make an assumption right now that, that Putin is pretty frugal with his cash. And if he does have dollars out of the hands of US regulators, I'm sure he has the odd crypto wallet from, from crypto wallet floating around. But his assets are out of reach. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and he's the richest man in the world. Yeah, he, he's richer than the czar was at the height of the power of the Romanov dynasty. He's richer than that. He's estimated to own something like 26 or 27 percent of Russian wealth. And the peak of the Romanov dynasty was, I think, 24 or 23 percent. And that was a 350 year dynasty. How many Fabergé eggs do you think Putin has? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, actually, I've actually been to the Fabergé Museum in St. Petersburg. And I, I, I still think, oh, I, I think he's, I think Putin is probably worth at least um, 250 billion, something like yeah. that, 250 to 300 billion. And virtually, at this point, virtually all of it's outside of the reach of the um, US banking system. I would, if you had to ask me, if you had to ask me, I would have said five, I would have said half a trillion dollars. Pick your number, right? right. Well, that's right. We don't, we don't even know. But we don't even know. But, yeah, I mean, you're getting to the point where a half trillion dollars, a half, you know, like a half trillion dollars, you're getting to a very you know, large chunk of the GDP of the country, which begins to cause questions. But in any event, it's very much what you are arriving at in your, in your, your energy conference that you're doing for, for electric vehicles. Mm. What I see happening in front of my eyes is kind of what happened in the 1970s. And, and that was when the wheels fall off and the U.S. leaves Vietnam and the U.S. is, oh, the U.S. is an unreliable partner. They don't stick to their word. They don't keep their promises. Everybody starts misbehaving. And, and it's always an imperial and same thing during the Depression in the 30s. Everybody was broke. So nobody could deploy armies with a lot of money. And so Italy was going off and, and uh, re, you know, reconquering their, 
their their old Roman Empire countries in Africa. Germany was doing the same thing. America was was coming out of its you know its stupor. The UK was doing it. Germany was going into Africa. Same thing is happening now. We are seeing the the old you know China the old empires of the last five hundred years. Persia, China, right in the last hundred years, America, France. France is active like hell in Africa, looking at its imperial ownership and, and trying to, to re, you know, revisit this. And so in Africa, there's a real imperial, there's a lot of budding imperial wars going on. What Russia is doing in Ukraine is, is an imperial war. Yep. And so, so America's weakness right now is causing all of these hegemonic powers to begin to get their feelers out for what they can get away with. And so Africa is a free for all. A lot of your EV precious metals are going to be coming from Africa. This is going to mean the U.S. is going to have to get involved in nasty proxy wars in the DRC, which is a source of a lot of this stuff in Mozambique, in Namibia, in South Africa, where there's a lot of these metals uh, hanging around. And, 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 And Ukraine is no different. And so this reminds me of the 70s when we just had a period where it was monkey see, monkey do, free for all to reconnect to imperial, imperial ambitions. And the UK is, is sending aircraft carriers to the Pacific. France is all over Africa like a cheap suit in, in very clandestine, quiet ways. So is Russia. So is China. So is America. And so I think we're in for several years of hegemonic, imperial, low-intensity conflict, which you have to incorporate into your your risk assessment for equities. Yeah, and but it's funny. So whether it's 150 years ago and it was or two, two, several hundred years ago and its spices were the were the were the were the right. commodity hillage, you know, again, how little the, how little the world has changed, right? Because there's there is a yep. there is a an arms race for, for commodities in. The DRC is a great example of this, but whether it's whether it's lithium, whether it's cobalt, whether it's other rare rare earths in terms of precision equipment, precision equipment, we just don't have enough of this stuff. And we talked yep. a little bit about the the vulnerabilities of the United States in regards to its own supply chain issues. Um, mm-hmm. And frankly, I'd make the argument that the US is asleep at the switch and not being aggressive enough. Right. So, you know, back to at the turn of the century. United States had strategic nickel and copper reserves that they weren't called that, but there was a there was a central depository of nickel and copper and the like and other strategic other strategic metals. And the reality is that you know the Chinese in particular, the Chinese car companies, have do can do one thing very well. The U.S. car companies can't, and Munich as well, by the way. And that is vertical integration. So if you're neo if you're mm, neo, yeah. if you're if you BYD is a great example of having direct access to lithium, direct access to nickel. Indonesia is going to prove by 2025, Indonesia will produce 60% of the world's nickel, and it's all funded out of China. It's all funded. Now, is it the sort of clean nickel that Tesla would love to have to produce, you know, you know in its perfect world to have this low-carbon supply chain of batteries? No freaking way it's clean. Nickel pig iron in, in Indonesia currently produces 50 tonnes of carbon for one tonne of nickel pig iron, right? Yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that right now, about how much carbon footprint does EV have relative to a gasoline car. And uh, verdict, unknown. 
Allow well, allow me to give you. I am full. Of, I'm full of little pieces of trivia after a week and a half of doing this. And one of my favourite ones was in Norway, which is obviously the the test centre of everything related to EV. That even with the even with the the strict regulation and benefit and very beneficial subsidies to replace the carbon to break even on your carbon output of the production of the car, of which fifty percent of a car's carbon is is the battery, right? You need to ride it for around somewhere, depending on the car, between thirty and forty thousand kilometers, right? Right. To, to break even on the carbon, right? And the right, the reality is that there's no, as we speak today, there's really no such thing as low carbon nickel, right? Because it's all smelted, and smelting's the thing which is yeah, it's very high temperatures. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, right. Um, so big picture, so what, what is a growth industry? And this is where my scepticism about blockchain as a solution looking for a problem. This is where blockchain is pretty, this is where blockchain is awesome, right? So supply, the 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 growth in supply chain optimization and, and tracing has been remarkable in the last two years. So companies like companies like Circular, Adobe does this, Salesforce does this, the big consulting firms, all the SAP and the like, can trace through what they call battery passports, can trace a battery and every component of that battery as I was told, from rock to roll, right? So from basically extraction uh-huh. to the car itself and all the way through to the decommissioning of that battery, you can trace where it was mined, was there child labour used, how much carbon it was taken to extract, how much carbon it took to ship. If you're going to smelt it, if you're going to mine it in Africa, smelt it in, in Indonesia, the carbon to get it to Indonesia and make the technology around this, which a lot of it is both both. But you know, public protocol blockchain plus centralized centralized database. It's remarkable this stuff, right? And that's well, it's good. To, it's great to hear that these are important companies. I just hope that when it comes time for national security agendas, we don't have national security people knocking on the doors of you know SAP and Adobe and saying you know, hey, can you just cut it out on the on the tracking? <laughs> Because we need this stuff pronto, which, of course, is exactly what happened with blood everything in the 70s and 80s. The U.S. was quite willing to topple any democratically elected government in order to get um, what it needed. It it toppled the Chilean government to get copper, for instance, in 1973. And it led to like a 25-year terrible dictatorship Uh, and so forth. He wasn't one of the good guys. Yeah, right. But he was our bastard, right? The, The old saying. So, so I, I see an extended period of time when imperial wars are going. And can you believe we're even talking about this? We thought that the area, the era of imperialism was over, but it's not. It's very much. It, it's that book, The Silk Roads, by Jonathan Franken. Beautiful book, and and yeah. and that just shows you that the, the the eternal return of the same along the Silk Road for twenty five hundred years. And in that period of time, there are two consistent empires. Persia and China. So the only two empires that exist today that existed, you know, basically 2,500 years ago, all the other imperial capital cities are gone. Alexandria, Samarkand, Rome, Athens, on and on and on, all the way through that area of the Silk Road. And so I think that that we're going to continue with this. I think we are seeing many, many low-grade Conflicts going on. One out of four countries in Africa is now in conflict, right? So, so we're having a dark time. The, the Russian, the Wagner Group of Russia, the 800 installations by the U.S. The France is at it in quite clandestine ways. The U.K. is at it again, and Russia is certainly at it. China is certainly at it. 
So we have to incorporate that into equity markets for certain because that era of Pax Americana is gone. Mm. And Paul, if Biden was serious, the first thing he would have said at two o'clock when he, when he started his, his press conference, Ukraine is part of NATO and we will defend Ukraine with Article 5. Bam. Would that, but the, the trouble is, but again, what, it goes back to the point about what can make do, right? So even, right. even with that, even with that, that threat, that overt threat of Article 5, what are they planning on doing? I mean, you know, this is the same Biden who said, and and again, I I know you're not alluding to that they actually would do this, but the same Biden was very, very clear that they wouldn't be sending in American troops, even if it was to rescue US citizens out of of Kiev in the event that they got stuck. So if he makes announcements like, like that, it's the Obama red line, right? It's the red line. It's the red line until the next red line. Um, and, no, I know you're right, and, and, and it's uh, so what 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 can they do? And you know, again, if they take Ukraine, how whatever part of it, whether it's whether it's the and, states, whether it's the whole bloody lot, right? The issue is, does Putin go further? Right? Does he go into the? Now, I don't think, and I think there's no one really believes that he'll go into the Baltics or anything like that, but. Um, where what can you do to stop him from going from going further, right? Because is Ma- is you know again put the politics to one side. Is Macron in the election year going to allow French troops to, you know, the Napoleonic the Napoleonic connotations there are just too are too grand to to. Uh, you're right. You're right. I mean, I, and he sees that he sees a, a weak Macron. He sees a, a kind of a clown in Boris Johnson. He sees a, a torn apart American political system under Biden. Germany, uh, and a new, a, a, a new chancellor, right? right? And, and so he, this is this is him saying, "I'm going for it." And his 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 roll of the dice has paid off tremendously. I think he's going to stop for a while. This is his pattern: go, do something dramatic, stop. Well, what, what, wait. Crimea was what 2014. 2014. That's right. 2014. Right. Well, but, but, so, I don't know if you read the article by William Hague that he wrote about getting into Putin's mindset, and he made it that. Uh, Brilliant article for anyone who hasn't read it, uh, and I think it was in The Independent, I think it was. The most telling thing Haig wrote was something very, very pragmatic, right? It was that, that Putin is 70 and he doesn't want to do this when he's 80, right? So he's got to do it now, <laughs> sooner, which I thought was incredibly pragmatic because, again, and that's the scary argument for Xi Jinping and, and Taiwan, which, again, I'd love to. I think, I think, I think that's thrown around far too willy-nilly. I think it's very, very, very different. You know, you don't want to do this when you're an old guy, right? The older you get, the more the more fragile you get. Look at Robert McGowan. Seventies kind of seventies kind of old, you know. Yeah, there's been a bunch of those like get, get in the mind of, of Vladimir Putin articles. I read a ton of them over the weekend. I think that he will wait. And he is getting exactly everything he wants. He's getting high oil prices. He's knocking Ukraine off center. He is taking advantage of weakness in the Western powers. He is ungluing NATO, right? If he, if he were to do something more severe, he would unite all of that and undermine all the successes he has. So I think I think he stops. In fact, I told my client that they, they, they would go into those two provinces, they, they would make them semi-autonomous states, and it would be a fait accompli, and it would become East Berlin. That was my prediction on the weekend. And it's sort of coming around to that. So that's that's what I'm going to stick with. And I think he's going to stop. He's been brilliant in his strategy and tactics right now. It's been brilliant. And taking advantage of weak Germany, weak France, weak UK, weak America. 
and he's cementing his relationship with China. And did you see what China said yesterday? This is really important. China is like so confident in itself. It was almost cocky. It said to, to America through like the foreign ministry, why don't you come back and start picking on, picking on us again and leave Russia alone for a while? <laughs> you know, that, that, was a, that was an interesting, weird, uh, why don't you come, come back? We, 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 we haven't heard from you guys enough. Can you come back and, and, and try to chop us up again like you've been doing unsuccessfully for the last four years? And so I think that this is bringing China and Russia closer together. That has been a historically very tenuous relationship. Yep. Some people are saying that this makes China nervous, that, that Russia's aggressiveness is making even China nervous. I am not so sure about that. But on your point on Taiwan, I want to say something. It's not that people in the office of Xi Jinping say, let's go get Taiwan now. When I was working in the White House, you, you never heard these like crazy things in the Oval Office or in the West Wing. But the lower down people were doing crazy things without other people knowing it. So you can have diplomatic efforts and, and some of these wolf warriors who start doing strange things to think they can start to tip the balance with Taiwan. And so that's what kind of gets worrisome, that you, you create historical tides that turn into large waves is what tends to happen when the cat's away, you know, the mice will play. And so I, I worry about that. I worry about that. I worry about something getting out of hand in Africa. I worry about things getting out of hand in some of these countries in Central and South America, because everyone's at each other's throat right now. France and Russia and China and America, to a lesser extent, I think the UK is, the UK is very exhausted. But all these guys have public and private mercenary armies that are all over the place now at each other's throats. And they're acting as proxies. And they're also whipping up Islamic groups to fight on their behalf in Africa. This has the potential for a lot of serious uprisings, I would say, all around the world. Problematic. On that, on that very optimistic note, Mr. Schulte, what are you up to this week? I'll tell you about something I do. I do every week. I do a, like a, an algorithmic check on things on banks and on corporates. And we do an algorithm which looks at RSIs and moving averages and MACD and short interest and, and, and a few other things. And we put it into an algorithm and, you know, then voila, we get some pretty good indications. For the banks, the algorithms have been, you know, flashing red signals for like three weeks in a row. So the banks are just saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. Today, something really important happened in the corporates. And our moving average are very heavily weighted in our algorithm because we look at something that, that I think is important. I'm not a big fan of technicals, Paul, but... Uh, things like death crosses and golden crosses are important. They, they're, they're rare. That's why they're important. They're very important signals because they're rare. NASDAQ just hit a death cross today. Sorry, right? everyone, so, everyone who doesn't know a death cross, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is when the 15-day moving average crosses the 200-day moving average. Yeah, right? it's 50, yeah, that's right. It's 50 and 200-day crossing on the downside. And that just happened today. It very rarely happens. And it happened today, and it usually tends to indicate a breakdown in, in indices and in individual stock prices equally. They apply exactly equally to both indices and to stock prices. You've seen a lot of death crosses kind of over the last week or two in a lot of these um, stocks in the tech in the tech world, less so in, in the banks. But we're seeing some breakdowns in a lot of the tech world. So I worry about that. I think we're going to get some uh, more consolidation 
rather than pick me up. So you saw that Kathy, I, I want to say Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. <laughs> Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. <laughs> Misery, misery is probably the right word yeah. for Kathy Wood's portfolio. Because I was thinking, I guess. <laughs> Kathy Wood has just been adding uh, quite a few of these stocks that have been craned, and I think it might be a premature to be doing something like that, like Roblox, down 26% last week. I think it's it's a very interesting company. I think it's premature. Mate, have a fantastic week, and let's do this again soon. All right. Thanks, mate. All the best. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye.